Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from October 25th by Pastor Randy, titled, Dealing with Difficult People, Part 7. And we've been talking about dealing with difficult people in culture, dealing with difficult people in church, and we started a couple weeks ago dealing with difficult people in the family. And so this is the last of our series. We talked about uh, why we should do that, dealing with difficult people in our family. And today we're going to talk about a little bit more of the how. And so since this is the last of the series, what, what we're going to do today is I'm not going to be giving you a whole lot of Scripture. We're going to look at about three or four verses. Uh, will be all that we're going to look at instead of the six chapters we saw last time in, in, in Samuel uh, and overviewing that. But I'm hoping you'll take these to heart. Uh, so here's the first thing I want to get across to you. Here's the first thing that, that I want you to understand. Is that whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, God has called us to love our enemies, to forgive, and to reconcile. And that's exactly how a lot of Christians approach it. They may not like it. Okay, God, but I'm going to give this a try because you said to do it. And so many Christians, that's the way they look at their relationships. Okay, I don't want to do this, but since God told me I have to, I guess I have to. But here's what I want you to understand. When you get the why on why you should reconcile, then it will be a privilege. Do you hear me? A privilege. Not I have to. It will be a privilege to love your enemies, to forgive, and to reconcile. And we just happen to live in times like it's been since the beginning of time where there's difficulties. Right? Where there's strain in relationships. We all know what it's like to have somebody who we love, who we trusted, usually a, a family member, say something or do something, and it strains the relationship. All of a sudden, things become difficult. And then that's probably the only time in your life where you wish you had my job. You could go to them, you could preach to them, you could convict them, you could convince them, you could tell them the way it is. And in your mind, in a perfect world, they're going to respond Yes, you're right. I was completely wrong. But it never happens like that, does it? In fact, what happens usually is that tempers flare and things get said and, and it gets a little ugly. And then you can go for weeks, months, years, decades, maybe the rest of your life. And those relationships, they just stay strained, never are healed, no reconciliation at all. That's usually what happens. And if you look in the Bible, you will see a lot of families that had issues. It started at the very beginning with Cain and Abel. Then it was Isaac who played favorites with his son, and then Jacob who plays favorites with his sons. In fact, Jacob's family had so many issues, they could have kept Dr. Phil busy for 10 years and could have never made through all the issues that was happening in Jacob's family. I mean, can you imagine being Joseph and your own brothers, they want to kill you? But by some little act of mercy, they decide, no, we won't kill them. We'll just put them in a pit and sell them as a slave. That'll mess with you when your own brothers would do that to you. But then what happened to Joseph when he's in Egypt? He becomes all of a sudden second command in Egypt, and he's in charge during this time of famine. And who should come begging for bread, begging for something to eat, but his brothers. And Joseph could have killed them. He could have made them slaves. He could have done anything he wanted, and nobody would have blinked an eye. But instead, he chooses to forgive and to reconcile. 
because he understood the why. And he saw it as a privilege to be able to do so. Now, what I want you to understand is that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can forgive somebody without being reconciled to them. It only takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. Forgiveness is releasing the hurt, but reconciliation is holding on to the relationship. See, what reconciliation does is take forgiveness one step further and reestablishes the relationship. And reconciliation is costly. It will cost your pride. It will cost your ego. In fact, what we found out or what you'll find out or what we all find out is that usually somebody's pride and somebody's ego are, somebody's ego are bigger obstacles to reconciliation than the issue. And human nature says, whenever you get your act together, whenever you pay me back, whenever you come and admit that you're wrong and I was right, then I'll reconcile with you. But those things don't have to have reconciliation take place. They don't have to admit they were wrong. They don't have to admit they took advantage of you. They don't have to pay you back. You just have to simply want the relationship because that's what God did for us. He decided to put the emphasis on, on the relationship, uh, and, and, and that's what we should be do for others and see it as a privilege to do so. So, four things that we'll look at this morning that I want you to consider. First of all is this. What if they interpret your acceptance as condoning what they've done? Oh, you want to reconcile. You must be okay with what I've done. You must be okay with it now. You must be accepting of my lifestyle now. Now, you know, everything must be okay. And won't people interpret, you want to hold on to the relationship, won't they interpret that as condoning what they've done? And the answer is yes, it will. Happen to Jesus all the time. Why, Jesus, you must be okay with tax collectors and, and prostitution because you hang around them okay. You must be okay with being ripped off by tax collectors and prostitution because that's what you, people you hang around with happen to him all the time. He was willing to put his reputation on the line to relate to people, to want to reconcile with them. And, and I've told you before, Several times, in fact, that Jesus could have gone around his whole life and pointed out where everybody was wrong. What you did last night was wrong. What you thought last night was wrong. What you think about doing, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. You're wrong. You're, you're sinners. I'm not. It says in John that, that he, could have con he did not come to condemn the world. He could have. He could have condemned everybody else around. He could have condemned the whole world, and he would have been right. But nobody would have followed him. Nobody at all. Instead, he chose to have a relationship rather than constantly reminding everybody how they have failed all around them. That's what he calls us to do. So, here's the first thing I want you to understand. If you want to have reconciliation, don't hide behind your rightness. See, if you want to be reconciled with somebody, you can't hide behind. But I'm right. I'm right. You know I'm right. Don't hide behind your rightness. Don't hide behind, won't they, won't they think that I'm condoning their lifestyle now, condoning what they've done. Don't hide behind that. Some people do that their whole lives. They'll, they'll, they'll refuse to reconcile, and, and, and they will 
justify it by, but I'm right. Or what they're doing is wrong. It looks like I'm condoning that. Second thing, the best defense is no defense. When you want to reconcile, the best defense is no defense. See, defense is fine if you want to win an argument, but it's not good if you want to reconcile. So they come up and they just let you have it. They verbally give you a shot across the jaw. Just take it. They come and they give you a gut punch or an uppercut or something like that. Just, they just verbally let you have it. Just take it. Just take it. Nothing has ever been solved by an argument. Not only that, you'll never let yourself lose an argument. When have you been in an argument and after 20 minutes has gone by, the other person says, you know what? You're completely right. I'm completely wrong. It's never happened. Never will happen. Because we will not let ourselves lose an argument. But what does happen? Whenever you feel like you're getting pushed into a corner, you'll do anything to win. You'll yell if that helps. You'll bring up the past if that helps. You'll do anything to win. Remember, you're not trying to win an argument. You're not trying to be right. You're trying to win a relationship. And when you understand that, when you begin to, to, to say this relationship is most important, one of three things are going to happen. Either one, you'll solve the issue, or number two, the issue will become completely insignificant, or number three, at least you're both heading in the same direction to solve the issue. Next thing, you have to decide if you're going to take a stand or build a bridge. You have to decide if you're going to take a stand or build a bridge. Now, there are times in life where you need to take a stand. There are also times we need to build a bridge. A lot of times when I do some, some counseling, counseling couples and things like that, one of them will say to me, either in the, with their spouse there or else off alone, Randy, tell them I'm right. You know I'm right. Tell them I'm right. And I'll say, look, you are right. But if I do that, you think that's going to heal the relationship? See, I try to get across them. They have to decide, are you going to take a stand or are you going to build a bridge? While we were yet sinners, God took a stand. God chose to win. God chose to, to make a point. No, God chose to build a bridge. There are times in Jesus' life where he took a stand. He throws the money changes out of the temple. That's taking a stand. But he would then turn around and relate to sinners and never even bring up their sin. He would go to Matthew's house. He would go to Zacchaeus' house. The woman at the well. He never focuses, focuses on their sin. He just relates. When people rub me, rub me the wrong way, I want to take a stand. I want to win the argument. I want to make a point. But God wants us to build a bridge. God wants us to win a relationship. God wants us to accept them the same way that he accepted us. So you're going to be tempted. When that relationship goes south, you're going to be tempted to, to remind yourself over and over again what they said to you, how they hurt you, how they took advantage of you. But here's what you need to understand. Here's a third point you need to, you need to drill deep into your head is that you have to make a choice. Are you going to take a stand or build a bridge because you can't do both? You're going to have to do one or the other. You can't do both. Third thing, or fourth thing, it's a lot easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. It's a lot easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. Every parent knows this because you set your kid down. 
And you said, look me straight in the eye and blah, 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 blah. Now go to your room and think about what I've said. And you're so proud of yourself because you told him the way it is. You made a point. But then you wonder why the kid never changes. Because there's a, there's a big difference between making a point and leading somebody into a different type of behavior. There's a big difference between making somebody feel guilty and hoping they'll behave differently. See, there's a, there's a different strategy altogether between making a point and trying to make a difference. Those are different strategies. It's always easy to make a point, isn't it? It's real easy. You can draw a crowd by making a point. Look at all the political rallies that, that, that's going on everywhere. You know, people stand and they make a point, make a point, make a point, and everybody just cheering, yeah, 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 because it's a lot easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. And what we have started doing in, even in our church over the past couple of decades is that we just lob points at the, at the sector world. Here's a point, here's a point, here's a point, because it's a lot easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. That's what we do. So, First two verses here. Colossians 4, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of your time. And what he's talking about is that you're going to have an opportunity to influence somebody with what you say. He's going to be talking about your speech. So be careful what you say. And here's the next verse. Let your speech always be gracious. Full of grace, one version says. Always, almost look like it's too much grace. Just grace, 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 grace. And what? A little bit of salt. So that you may know how you should answer each person. Oftentimes what we do is we give a lot of salt, a lot of salt, a lot of salt, and a little bit of grace. If you just pray this prayer. You've got to fight. If you want to win a relationship with somebody, you've got to fight that desire to make a point, And you've got to be willing to do the work to make a difference. Let me give you some history here that will help frame this. Because this is huge. After the resurrection, within 300 years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Roman Empire adopted Christianity, became sort of like a Christian, it became the, 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 the officially endorsed Religion of the Roman Empire. 300 years. And you got to wonder, how did that happen? Because you just look at, at history. There's no way that should have happened, especially when you had emperors that were doing everything they can to stamp out Christianity. How did it happen? Because there was nobody taking votes for who ran for office. You didn't get a vote back then. Who is going to be the next emperor? Who's going to be in charge? There was nothing, no such thing as religious liberty. No such thing as Bill of Rights or a Constitution. Christians had no platform, they had no influence, they had no power. And yet, in 300 years, they became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. How'd that happen? Several things took place. You can go back and you can look and see how there were 
several plagues that, that, that came through during those first couple of hundred years that destroyed just cities, would just be gone. And when those plagues would hit a city, the first thing that would happen, the rich would leave, the, the, the military would leave, and, and the pagan priests would leave. And that left just the average Joe, the average person, the average poor person to either get sick and die or to, or to just sit in a, in a, wherever they were at in their home in the street and rot after they died. But what happened, the Christians came in, and, and they began taking care of people, ministering to the sick, burying the dead. And not only that, in that time and age, there was a lot of people who had just abandoned their kids. They had a girl, they wanted a boy, or had a boy and wanted a girl. They just take the kid and, and just leave it beside a creek somewhere or just put it somewhere and just leave it. Christians would come and they would take in those abandoned children. They begin, Christians taught about how women should be valued. They cared for widows. And so when Constantine came along, they were ripe. The time was ripe for them to become a Christian nation. And they just adopted it. Not because Christians were making a point. They had no platform to make a point. Because every day they were making a difference. And then 20, uh, after Constantine was, died, after he was spent his, I don't know, about 12 years or so being emperor, about 20, 25 years after that came, came Julian, the new emperor. He wanted to bring paganism back to the Roman Empire. Make it pagan again. Didn't come close to happening. Never had a chance. Here's part of a letter that he wrote. This is what Julian wrote when he was trying to, to, to make Rome and he wanted to turn it back into a, to, to a pagan empire of worshiping idols and paganism. Here's what he said. He said, recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character, even if pretended, and by their benevolence towards strangers. He said, Christians, they're so moral, and I don't think it's sincere. But they're moral. They're just always doing good. I believe it's all pretend, but that's what they do. And we can't compete with that. And then he says this. I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priest. He's talking about the pagan priest. Okay, right here. He's talking about the poor being, being neglected and overlooked by the priest. He's talking about the pagan priest. Because in that culture, the pagan gods, they didn't care for people. They didn't love people. They just played with people. And so the priests, they didn't care about the poor or other people at all. So he's talking when the poor are neglected and overlooked by the priests, the pagan priests, the impious Galileans, that's what he called Christians. The impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. So when they see somebody in need of help, They don't try to go make a point. They go and they make a difference. And what he's saying is that how can we ever convince anybody to join our cult when that's going on? We can't. We can't. And then he says, everyone can see that our people lack aid from us, but they're getting aid from these impious Galileans. Wow. That's powerful. And the reason that Rome, the Roman world, had Christianity come in and be the dominant religion 
and stay that way was not because Christians were trying to make a point, make a point, make a point, win the argument, and be right. It's because every day they were seeing how they could make a difference. But then now, Christianity is a dominant religion. So what do Christians begin doing? You have to do what we say. We're in charge. Don't you know who the emperor is? Don't you know that the people are on our side? You have to be in charge. And they begin trying to influence the world through power and not through love. And whenever the church tries tries to influence through power and not through love, they lose. It's gone. And it begins to to slowly drain away. It doesn't work. Doesn't work for a nation. Doesn't work for a family. When you try to influence through power and not through love, when you you will so bad want to make a point and you forgot how to make a difference. So here's the next verse. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. He doesn't say blessed are the peace lovers. Everybody loves peace. You know, what does every Miss America want? You know, world peace. No, everybody loves peace. doesn't say blessed are the peaceable, those who just don't care about anything. But he says blessed are the peacemakers, those who, who pursue reconciliation in the midst of conflict. Now, what I want you to understand is that he's not talking about avoiding here. People who do, oh, there's really nothing going on. Let's, let's just not even, let's just try, let's just focus over here and forget about that. It's not pretending that there's not a conflict, okay? It's not avoidance, and it's not appeasement. It's not just, okay, do whatever you want, just run over me, just say what you want to say. No, Jesus took a stand a lot of times. It's not just have your way. It's whenever you have a relationship and you choose not to take a stand, you don't choose to make a point. Instead, you choose to find a way to to relate to them, to build a bridge to them, to make a difference. God looks at you and goes, just like me. That's exactly what I did. That's what he's calling us to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But what's our society all about today? I have my rights. We're going to defend our rights. We have a group of Christians uh, uh, that's just sort of sweeping through Christian culture that, that we'd rather be right than be reconciled. I'm right. You know I'm right. And whenever you have... Christians who don't want to lose for the sake of reconciliation. They want to put their rightness over being reconciled. We lose. We lose. From God's point of view, there's something more important than winning or being right. If the cross is going to show you anything, it ought to show you that. Aren't you so glad God decided to reconcile rather than be right? We all are. So Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth because you've got these two guys in there that, that they disagree. They both think they're right, and they think they're so right they're going to court. 
Nothing wrong with going to court. Paul uses the court system to, to get to Rome. But they're going to court because they both think they're doing right. Let this sink in. This is what Paul says. As it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's right. You're already wrong. You've already lost because you chose to be right over reconciliation. It's already a defeat for you. And here's a, why not rather be wronged? Let that sink in. Why not rather be wrong for the sake of the relationship? So if you have a family member that you're in conflict with or who's doing stupid and just gotten away from God, conflicts aren't resolved accidentally. You've got to intentionally want to do this. Realize it's going to cost your ego. It's going to cost you being right. Standing on that ground of I'm right. And if they're, if they're away from God because they're doing stupid, it's going to cost you your spiritual energy too because it's going to take effort to, to pray for them, to, to, to bring them before God, to fast for them, to get them back where they need to be. To be willing to sacrifice for the relationship because that's exactly what God did for us. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, oh, but so the world might be saved so that he could have that relationship with us. So where are you at right now? Where are you at? Do you need to be right with God? Do you need to make it right with a family member? Do you need to, to pursue that relationship? You're going to have a choice. Because I promise you, they're going to say something, they're still going to give you a, uh, and you got to take it. It's going to cost you your pride, your ego. You have to be willing to, to rather want to build a bridge than take a stand, to make a difference rather than make, than, than, than make a point. It's going to cost. And please hear this again. It's not, well, whether you like it or not, that's what we've been called to do. It's, no, I want this to get deep into your heart so you realize it's a privilege to do that. You get to forgive somebody the way God's forgiven you. You get to go and be reconciled with somebody the way God chose to be reconciled with you. It's a privilege to do that. We shouldn't run from that. We should run toward it. We shouldn't sit here wanting to, to look at our culture and make a point, make a point, make a point. Just like the early Christians, we should be out making a difference. Because Christianity doesn't, doesn't do too well when it has the mantle of power on it. You notice that? In countries where Christians are, are wearing the mantle of power, it doesn't do so well. It does so well when there's not the power there, and then they spend their time focusing on making a difference. That's why they say, boy, you... Persecute Christians, that's when Christianity starts to, th starts to thrive and grow. Because then the difference is, is, is just plain for everybody to see. So when Constantine come around and, and, and made Christianity a dominant religion, they were ripe for that. 
because they had seen the difference that Christians had made. That's what should be happening in your relationships that are so difficult in your family, in the church, and in the world. And maybe you're ready for right now to have that relationship with God. You choose to come to Him. What He does is He takes that sin that you have that stopped that relationship with you, and He just sets it aside. He puts it aside so He can have that relationship with you. Now listen, it cost Him a lot to do that, but He wanted to do that so that we could have that relationship with Him. That's something that you can be a part of. And He never brings up your sin again. It's called being forgiven. That's nice. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.